On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about something that's on every Christian's mind, I think, and that is making converse. Should be. Should it should be. be a high priority to us, not for our glory, but for the glory of God and, and our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to bring lost people to salvation, and it should be a priority for us. It ought to be an important thing. We want to talk about where we find our prospects, how to pursue making converts for Christ tonight. All right. It's going to be a good discussion, and you're going to want to be a part of it. We're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, June 21st, 2018. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn, and I'm not exactly sure who this other guy is with me tonight. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, I've been out of I've been out of pocket for too long here. My I, father, to, Greg Gwynn, is back. You'll have to retrain me. I've probably forgotten well, uh, everything, but uh, good to be back with you on Two weeks in Bible a row. Study. I don't know yeah. that that's ever happened before. I don't think so. Uh, but it's, we're glad to have you back tonight, and we're glad that you're listening, and we look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com uh, are how you can participate. And if you're listening to us live, you can send us an email. I mean, uh, sign in the chat room with other listeners tonight to join in the discussion there. Lots of folks signed in. Donna, Dwight, Linda, uh, Mount Pleasant, Kyle, Nikki, Arthur. Lots of folks signing in there tonight. And you can sign in and join with other listeners on the program as well. We've got some uh, events coming up now that are just about a month away that we need to start uh, making sure our listeners know about. Closer. Uh, We're on July 23rd and 24th. We're going to have our annual community Bible study here in Columbia, Tennessee. That's an annual event that we do. We we go to a public meeting hall near our downtown uh, called the Memorial Building. This year, David Eakin. I think some of our listeners will recognize that name. He's a He's a, a preacher and a scientist and has done a lot of work in teaching about evidences, especially about evolution versus creation. And that's going to be our theme for our discussion on those two nights. We think our young people are especially being challenged by the false claims of evolution. And we want to make sure that we're getting the message firmly grounded in their hearts and in ours that the story of creation as revealed in the scriptures is exactly right. And it and actually there's no there's no contradiction between the creation account in Genesis and true science. I think that's the thing. I think a lot of young people have, are, have become convinced that you can't believe in science, you can't you can't study science, you can't accept science and believe the Bible, and that's just simply not true. It's not, and so we'll hopefully be establishing some very fundamental and important things regarding our faith. Uh, at the community Bible study this year. If you are anywhere in the area, even if you have to drive a little ways, it'd be worth your while to come and uh, be a part of that study. Exactly right. We hope you'll do that. All right. And and we'll have more information on our website coming up. All right. On the program tonight, uh, talking about making converts. Earlier today to our update list, I sent out some questions. I always do that on Thursday about noontime or shortly before noon, 11 o'clock usually our time here in the central time zone. Uh, and so if you're not on our update list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. We'll give you the questions that we're going to talk about on, a, on that night. And today we sent out these questions. Where are we most likely to find good prospects that we can be most successful with in teaching them the gospel? Okay. Number two, what can we learn from the parable of the sower about spreading the gospel? Number three, give some examples from the New Testament about various categories of people, family, friends, strangers, and so forth, who were reached with the truth about Jesus. And then finally, comment on these essential attitudes that we must have if we hope to reach the lost. And we'll comment about those when we get to them. I'm not going to read all those right now. I I put down about seven basic attitudes I think that we need to possess if we're going to be successful in teaching the lost. Yeah. And we'll talk about those. You may not want to lead done. the witness. You may just let others uh, chime in there yeah, on yeah, the attitudes right. we need. That's right. Okay. So 
On that first question, I, I, I sort of, uh, I sort of had ulterior motives in asking that first question. Where are we most likely to find good pro- prospects that we can be most successful with in teaching the gospel? On the virtual Bible study, we reference surveys and polls and uh, uh, quite a bit. I actually took a poll a few years ago. You did the poll. This is my poll. Did this you is... call people like while they were no, eating dinner uh, and ask them to no, answer? No, no, but I did put out on an email list among brethren some questions about how many converts were being made and where were they coming from. Okay. And so uh, I, I wrote this up, and I'm just going to read what I wrote up uh, as a summary of that of the results. Okay. A recent survey of several churches of Christ turned up some interesting statistics about the people who are being converted to Christ. Some things didn't seem to matter much. For instance, there were about equal numbers of men and women who became Christians, and people from different races were represented in percentages that aren't far different than the general population. The age of the new converts showed an interesting trend. The highest percentages were among men and women from 20 to 40 years old. And among these, the highest numbers were for married people. This should tell us that we ought to be especially targeting young married people with the gospel message. The second largest age group for converts was those under 20 years old. Most of these were children of existing members. And, of course, that's an extremely important group. We should never fail to pay special attention to the conversion of our own children. Right. Without a doubt, the most strikingly obvious statistic is that new converts are by far most often among people who are friends or relatives of those who are already Christians. In fact, a look at the numbers shows that fully 80% of the reported conversions were among those that were already known. Only 4% were reached by advertising efforts and just 1% contacted by door-to-door work. Hmm. What does this tell us? It's clear that we need to be working hard to teach and convert our own family members, our friends and co-workers, our neighbors and other acquaintances. Four out of every five conversions are likely to come from these folks who are already known to us. Yet we continue to target people we don't know with ads and door knocking. Uh, Let's change that. Let's get more efficient. Let's work energetically to teach and convert as many as we can, especially those we already know. That's that's that was the results I wrote up. you know, in any conver- uh, congregation, I think there's an emphasis on trying to develop some methodology that we can use to reach people out there that we that we're unacquainted with so far. You know, and so uh, we have things like the community Bible study. That's our effort to try and reach people in our community. We don't know who those people are necessarily, but we want to try to reach them. I think that's all well and good, but the fact of the matter is that we know our greatest opportunity is among the people we already know. Mm-hmm. Family, friends, co-workers, relatives. Uh, and and that's, I think, for us as Christians, that tells us where we ought to be targeting our, our major energies. Right. All right. What do you think about that? What do you think about the survey results tonight? We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call toll-free at 877-381-4567. If you do, you can talk to Kyle. He'll help you get on the air tonight. Kyle, welcome to the program. Glad you're here tonight. It's always good to be here. And I uh, look forward to hearing from you, Kyle. Um, what do you think? Where do you think the best prospects are for finding uh, those who would be willing to uh, be responsive to the gospel message? How do you make contact with those folks? You have interesting results there, uh, but probably some of the things we may have thought Already, yeah, I don't think it's shocking results, but I mean, it, it was borne out by the results of verified, verified, verified by taking a simple yeah. uh, survey of a number of yeah. congregations. Very good survey, and we won't ask about the scientific accuracy of it, but I think it probably uh, uh, is plus or minus. Yeah, right, six percent. Six percent. All right. Okay. I think we got a response from Kent on that, Jacob. Yeah, Kent said good prospects are found in numerous and various situations: family, friends, and strangers. There are times when it may appear that certain individuals are good prospects, but it may turn out that they are were not good prospects at all. In other situations, it may appear that certain individuals are not good prospects, and over a given time, those same individuals accept the truth and obey the gospel. Determining who constitutes good prospects can be difficult due to the fact that we cannot always completely know the hearts and minds of those we seek to evangelize. There are times when we may be convinced those with whom we study will be uh, convinced of the truth and obey the Lord, and they do not. Other times, individuals may seem very unlikely to respond to the gospel in a positive way, 
will do so. Situations in the lives of individuals sometimes may change that will bring about a change in their thinking and reaction to God's truth. A good prospect is an individual who has a true interest in spiritual things, who is a true seeker with an honest heart. Thank you, Kent, for those comments tonight. Yeah, Mohan in Chicago said we can find prospects where all kinds of people are. Examples would be on busy streets where we can give gospel tracts and engage people in conversation at laundromats, in homes, at the mall, and so forth. I'm right with Mohan on that. I think we ought to be. I, I really. I, I, there's some people I know who who just have a real knack for striking up conversations mm-hmm. with total strangers, and I admire that. I'm, I'm not particularly good at that, but there are some people who really are, and uh, and I think we ought to use all opportunities. And uh, Mohan mentions there may be just bringing uh, a spiritual topic into that discussion. I think we need to. De- or- yeah, I think we need to develop a skill. We don't need to turn every conversation we're in into a discussion of Bible things. I don't think that's the case. But I do think we need to develop a skill of being inter- able to introduce those kind of topics uh, with 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 some skill. So here I am at work, and I go to coffee break with the same guys every day. I ought to be able at some point to bring up a spiritual subject with them or with my neighbor uh, or with my family. You know, I, I, I I ought to be able to talk about spiritual things. I, I don't, again, I don't have to talk about that every time I open my mouth. But it ought to be a skill I develop in being able to talk with others. You know, as we strike up conversations with strangers or folks that we know, we sometimes drop a little. We drop a little bait to see if they pick it up, right? I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe I see something. Maybe, maybe you got a, you got a picture there of your grandkids. Well, you got grandkids, and you may want to talk about your grandkids. You not may not. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put a little seed there, see if something might go in that conversation. Yeah. We ought to figure out ways to do that about spiritual things as well. Not, yeah. I mean, if they don't take the bait and if they're not interested in talking about it, we can just move on and nothing, no, no damage. You know, and and I, again, I think there's all different techniques to be used, but I mean, it can be really st- something simple. So on Monday morning, you're at work and you have you have a little bit of downtime and and you're just talking with some coworkers. And, Man, the preacher had an interesting topic for his sermon yeah. yesterday. Yeah. And just say what it was. It may not provoke any reaction at all, but it might yeah. open a door. And I think those are the kind of skills we need to get. But back to this survey, and, and I'm, I'm with Mohan. I'm, uh, you know, uh, if I could engage people on the street, perfect. But we know it is proved. It is not really debatable. Our greatest, our greatest pool of prospects are not strangers. They're people we already know. And those are, and, and so since we know we'll be more successful there, let's use let's use that. And one time I uh, suggested this is sort of like picking low hanging fruit. You know, if you, if you if you go up to an apple tree, there's some there's some apples way way up there in the top of the tree, but they're going to be hard to get to. Uh, I'm going to have to get a ladder or climb that tree. I'm a, but man, there's there's apples just right all around here. Or, or, uh, I don't even I, all I have to do is just reach out and take them. I don't, I don't have to get on a ladder. I don't have to do anything. They're they're the low hanging fruit. Those you, you pick the low hanging fruit first, right? And and these people we already know are the low hanging fruit. They're the ones that we really need to be reaching out to with the gospel. Mike has an interesting comment in the chat room. He says Jesus is the perfect example of prospecting, in my opinion. John four, he turns getting a drink of water with a Samaritan woman into a teaching opportunity. Exactly. Well, that's a great example. Uh, he didn't know, and, and again, that was a stranger. But but studying John four, we see the great skill that Jesus had into turning an everyday situation into a teaching opportunity. And we also see how that can multiply, and the response that teaching that person led her to bring the, the whole, whole town city, yeah. to hear him. And, yeah. uh, and and things like that are happening still today. Exactly right. All right, we'll get a break, and we'll get back. We'll get your thoughts. Uh, we need to get to the parable of sower. You, that was your next question. Uh, certainly lots of lessons to learn about that, par- that sower that's going forth to sow We're going to be needing to do that as well. So what do we learn? We'll talk about that. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. 
Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man, and instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Here's some quotes worth pondering. A man is as big as the things which annoy him. He is happy whose circumstances suit his temper, but he is more excellent who can suit his temper to any circumstance. A person who can't lead and won't follow is really only a roadblock. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about making converts. Where do we find them? How do we teach them? What attitudes do we need? Things we're talking about on the program tonight, and we look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Kyle is standing by now, ready to take your call. Um, uh, The second question we asked on our update list was, what can we learn from the parable of the sower about spreading the gospel? I, I, I hope that... That wasn't too vague of a question uh, that, that maybe our listeners understood. But I, I think there's some real principles there. Uh, yeah. I don't think it was vague. I think our listeners, at least the ones who responded, uh, understood the question. Yeah. Um, I think we're all familiar with the parable. So it's a longer parable. We won't take time to, to read all of that. But one of the things that's interesting is that the sower sowed the seed everywhere. Yes. Uh, he, you know, amongst those different types of soil, there were some places where maybe it was not even likely that it would germinate. But he sowed the seed there anyway. He sowed it on good ground, but he sowed it in areas and in places where the ground wasn't necessarily so good. He sowed everywhere. And one of the lessons I've tried to, to take from that is that we we should not try to prejudge. And I think that Kent's uh, comment that you read earlier touched on this. I think we're really too inclined to say that guy. I know him. I don't think he'd be interested. I don't think it would do any good to try and talk with him about the gospel. I'm not going to. Uh, so we sort of prejudge. We make the decision for them as to whether or not they'd be receptive with the, to the gospel or not. And, and I think the parable of the sower tells us, no, just just sow the seed. Sow it everywhere. You know, that's not the way a farmer would do. The farmer only, seeds are expensive, uh, and you don't want to waste your money on ground that's not likely to produce anything. But in this sense, the sower of, of the word of God should sow it everywhere indiscriminately. Be indiscriminate in it. And, yeah. you know, I... There's a there's a verse in Ecclesiastes I think that uh, is it, it sort of it, it gives a, maybe a, an explanation of how we act sometimes. Ecclesiastes chapter eleven verse four is not talking about teaching the gospel; it's talking about literal sowing the seed. But it says, "He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap." I think the the message there is if you're looking for an excuse not to do something, not to sow your physical seed, you'll always find it. Yeah. I mean, there's never a perfect time to go plant uh, a garden or you know plant some grass seed in your yard. Exactly. You go, oh, it may not rain or it's too wet. You need to go out and do it. And the same is true with the the, the spiritual seed of the gospel. I think if we if we're honest, we can we could always come up with an I'm not going to teach him. Uh, I can, there's something in his life he may not be receptive. Oh, I might not teach her. I'm not sure she'd be. Ex- we can always find excuses. 
And the, uh, the parable of the sower teaches us to be indiscriminate. Sow the seed. And uh, even sow it where you think it's a total waste. Yeah. I mean, the, the wayside soil, why waste the seed there? But he yeah. was doing it anyway. Yeah, and I think that's the, to me, that's the real big takeaway in that parable uh, for, for the sower. I mean, there, there's lots of applications of that parable talking about the different soil types and the hearts of men into which the gospel falls and and the point we've always made about the parable of sower everybody is one of those four types of soil which one are you uh that, that's a great lesson itself but in regards to sowing the sower himself sets an example for us who are trying to do the job of converting lost people you know and i had some seeds in my gar- in my garage uh from years ago that never made uh, one bit of fruit because i never put them in the ground yeah uh, and we, we've got the truth. We've got the seed. We need to be sowing it. And if we don't, it's never going to produce the fruit that it needs to produce. Yeah. Uh, th- Wayne Gretzky, you remember him, Kyle, a famous hockey player. I think he's the one who's credited with the, with the statement, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Right. And that, that's sort of, that's sort of a weird way to say it, but that's sort of the way it is with, the, we fail to convert. 100% of the people that we don't approach with the gospel. All right. So if this is somebody I know, again, we're talking about where's where's my most likely pool of prospects. They're among people I already know. But if I never talk to them, I'll never convert them. All right. 877-381-4567. Sign in the chat room and chat with other listeners there on the program tonight. You know, they, in the parable of the sower, one of the things we see in that parable is that the the seed is perfect. It, mm-hmm. There's there's no there's no flaw there's no duds the there. Seed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to tell a story on one of the young men that went hunting with us last fall. We or well, really over the winter we went duck hunting, and we weren't having well, we weren't having really any luck. It wasn't we were having bad luck. It was just no luck at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the few chances for shots didn't bring in bring down any ducks. And one of the young men who was with us said. I wonder if there's something wrong with his ammunition. <laughs> we all got a real laugh out of that. Uh, no, there wasn't anything wrong with the ammunition. It was us. And there's nothing wrong with the gospel message either. It's us. If, it, if, there's, a, if there's a failure, it's us. And, and we, need to, uh, we need to work hard, uh, do our best, and, and spread the gospel everywhere we can. All right. Kyle, any thoughts from you so far? Uh, no, they were good. All right. All right, now we ask another question. Um, give some example. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think maybe Kent, Kent's got a comment. Kent and Mohan. Mohan okay. says uh, we can learn that there are many in the first category of the parable sower who are not open to the gospel, but that should not uh, discourage us. So lots of folks in the wayside soil, Mohan says, maybe more, it seems, uh, all the time, but he says don't let that discourage you. And then Kent in Calhoun, Georgia says, the parable of the sower informs us that the success of seeking individuals to uh, to convert to truth is contingent upon two specific factors. A, the word of God must be faithfully taught. And B, those who are the hearers must have a willingness to receive the word of God as truth. Not everyone will receive, be receptive of the truth. Not all who receive the truth and did initially convert to the Lord will maintain a desire to be faithful to him. Some individuals who obey the gospel will allow worldliness and the cares of this life to choke out the truth of God from their lives. When both individual Christians and local churches have an obligation to seek to win the lost to Christ, those who are lost, either non-Christians and or fallen brethren, also have the responsibility to seek, accept, and obey truth. Even though we have the obligation to lovingly present the truth in an uncompromising way, we cannot force the response. If we accomplish what God requires of us, we must not feel guilty uh, when individuals respect reject the gospel, and that's an interesting point that he makes there as well is that our job is to plant a seed. The, the, the sower planted the seed, and that's the last we hear of him. And that was his job. That was his responsibility. His was not his was not the, the, the response. He, the response. His was the the planting, and and that's and that's a good lesson from the parable of the sower too. Same uh, that's the same charter that uh, Paul had. Paul wasn't sent to baptize. In other words, his his objective wasn't to convert. His objective was to teach, yeah. and that's the, the objective uh, that we uh, that we have as well. Yeah, what, what did Paul say there in First Corinthians uh, chapter one? Yep. Um, he said, he said uh, uh, 
I thank God that I baptized none of you saying, but Crispus and Gaius. And the reason he said that was because some of them were, were developing a sectarian spirit mm-hmm. in which they were following him and Peter and others. And he didn't want that, and it was wrong. He said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. But he goes on to say in verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Uh, that that was his assignment. He he saw that as his responsibility to preach the gospel. Whether or not people were baptized would t- would take its own course. You know, and who baptized them certainly wasn't important. But preaching the gospel was the responsibility. In verse six of chapter three, he would say, "I have planted, Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." Exactly. So the job of uh, those who are trying to make converts isn't to to force someone to convert or being responsible for whether or not they accept the truth, the responsibility we have is to plant the seed, and we need to be doing that. We've had instances where people suggest that we ought to we ought to set a specific number of baptisms that we that we want to have in a given period of time. Yeah. Uh, uh, I know a lot of congregations uh, have a have a practice, and I think it's a worthy practice of sort of setting some goals at the start of the year. Uh, you know, these are the things we want to try to accomplish. I think that's fine. I think planning like that is actually good. Uh, but, but sometimes you'll hear a suggestion. Well, let's, let's say that let's, let's make a goal that we baptize 20 people next year. Well, we can't do that really because that's up to them. Whether or not they respond to the gospel is up to them. That's, we, we can't, we can't set that number. What we can say is let's try to, let, let's have, Three gospel meetings. Let's uh, let's pass out two thousand Bible correspondence courses. Let's uh, let's ask a hundred people for a Bible study. Yeah. Let's let's uh, yeah let's yeah. There you go. Let's ask. Let's get each member to ask at least ten people to have a home Bible study. I mean, we can. Those are the kind of things we can do, and that and that goes to the spreading of the word. I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Yeah. All right. In the chat room, Dwight said, we should not be afraid to plant the seed, but fear is a tool of Satan. We sometimes sell ourselves short thinking we might get tripped up in teaching others. We all have some knowledge and truth to share. And I think that's a good observation, Dwight. Uh, and really, fear should not stop us, because if in any congregation that I have any knowledge of, if you are, if, let's say that you may be are a newer convert yourself and you don't have a lot of experience in teaching others and and maybe your your knowledge of the scriptures is still developing there there are mature christians in any congregation who'd be glad to go with you and or teach uh, and maybe you you sit in but the the big problem is these days especially is setting up those teaching situations anybody can do it It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or what your level of Bible knowledge is yet you still know people and and if you can help establish those teaching opportunities that that, that's wonderful that's the big issue that's the big problem all right okay Uh, we're almost to a break let's let's grab a break break and then uh, to sort of real quickly when we get back from this break Jacob just to sort of reemphasize uh, the the kind of thing we've been talking about. Talk to the people we know. L- let's look at some Bible examples of people who brought others to Christ. All right, lots of good examples from there. And maybe take a minute in the chat room tonight to think of someone in the Bible you know of who brought someone to Christ, and uh, maybe we can learn some lessons from those examples. We hope you'll stay tuned. We hope you'll share your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. A common question on various applications has to do with our living accommodations. Usually we're asked if we own our own home or if we rent. For those of us who are homeowners, the correct response is that we own our home. But, of course, that's not entirely accurate in most cases. Yes, we have invested in our home. Yes, we are on the record of deed at the courthouse. Yes, we are responsible if the drains back up or if the furnace quits working. But the truth is that the bank or finance company probably has more invested in the house than we do. Because of this, we have certain restrictions about what we can and cannot do with the property. Fail to adhere to the terms of the mortgage and the bank will quickly repossess the place. The fact is, the house is not really our own. There's a spiritual parallel to this idea of ownership. Many times we hear folks say, quote, it's nobody's business but my own. I can do as I please. Such expressions convey the idea that we're accountable to no one. 
This, of course, completely ignores all that the Bible says about God's judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 14.12, and so forth. But those of us who are Christians have an even greater reason to think along these lines, for you see, we truly belong to God. He owns us. Quote, ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. The Father has invested a huge amount in us. Quote, you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Realizing this truth about ownership, we should also understand that there are obvious restrictions concerning what we can and cannot do. We are obligated to adhere to the rules and regulations set forth by the one who actually holds the note, so to speak. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Perhaps you've never been to our website. You're just listening to us in a podcast form. Check out our website. It is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Maybe you've never been here to worship with us on Sunday morning or Sunday night or been to our Bible study on Wednesday night. We would encourage you to come and find out more about us in person. Find out more about our meeting place and time of meeting at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Check out our sermon podcast. That's back up and running now that you're back in town. And okay. uh, got a new sermon podcast already up there tonight. So okay. check out our sermon podcast. Find out how to get that at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. All right. So the the third question we asked to our update list was give some examples from the New Testament about, about various categories of people, family, friends, strangers, and so forth who were reached with the truth about Jesus. I just came up with a quick list of five, and I know there's a lot more than that. But let me suggest these, and we'd be glad to get your input in the chat room. Who can you think of? Someone someone who brought someone else to the Lord. The one that I think probably comes most readily to mind is Andrew. Uh, Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. Uh, Andrew... Peter was his brother. Peter is the one we hear more about. Mm -hmm. But Andrew is the one who first found the truth about Jesus, and he went and found his brother. Right. So just to sort of generalize that situation, here's a person who brought a family member. Okay. All right. I really think that that's, that's a prime area that we need to focus on. Not just our own immediate family, but but man, certainly don't don't neglect to teach your own children, for instance, because there's way too many families that lose their children when they grow up and leave home, uh, and and maybe maybe they had even obeyed the gospel and they fall away later. But but certainly we need to do our very best to ground our own children in the faith, teach them and convert them to Christ. Truly convert them, truly teach them. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And there and and there, I, I'm going to tell you, I think there's no better prospect than that. That's got to be your number one prospect. Okay. Your, your own children. Um, but other family members, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Okay. Family. Good point. Philip, in that same text, Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus, and apparently they were just friends. Uh, and so, uh, in, in the, in that instance, we see Philip bringing Nathaniel, uh, to Jesus, and, and, and so we find another category of people there. Okay. Uh, br- bring those who are your close friends, and this is in John chapter 1. Uh, in verse 43, John chapter 1. In fact, those previous verses are the ones that we just mentioned about Andrew uh, and Peter. But in verse 43, the day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find a Philip and said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be... Any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, no, no, all he does is just come and see. Come and see. We, we can all do that. Uh, uh, I'm really excited about what we're doing at, at the local congregation. Come and see. Come with me Sunday. Come visit with me on Sunday. And we can all do that. 
But again, another really important category of people is those who are our friends. Okay. Uh, those who are our acquaintances. I think a lot of us have friends and we would do anything for them. Uh, we just share the gospel with them. Yep. Uh, so there's another important category of people. In Luke chapter 8, as uh, Jesus uh, cast the demons out into the swine, you remember they ran over the cliff and into the sea, and, uh, and that, uh, that gentleman that had the demons cast out of him obviously was very grateful and uh, indebted to Christ, and he wanted to go with him. And he, was, uh, he, he, he asked if he could go with Jesus, and Jesus sent him back. Uh, in verse 39 of Luke chapter 8, he said, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. Uh, and he went his way and published uh, throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. Jesus has done great things for us, and we ought to go back to our yeah. house. Can you just go and tell? Just tell what he's done. You don't yeah. have to get into the nitty-gritty doctrinal details. and Just spark an interest by telling what Jesus has done for you. Yeah, how's that affected your life? Yeah. Exactly. Right. So family, Andrew brought Peter. Friends, Philip brought Nathaniel. Then another category, an example, is the evangelist Philip taught a total stranger. I'm thinking Acts 8, last half of Acts chapter 8, Philip Uh, and the Ethiopian eunuch. Total stranger. Guy he met on the road. You know, I've I've tried to sort of picture that scenario in my mind. Here's the Ethiopian eunuch going down the road in his chariot. Philip is walking by the side of the road. Philip looks for all the world to be uh, maybe like a hitchhiker or something. Yeah. And and this guy in the chariot, Philip doesn't know him. Now we understand there was there was spirits guidance under uh, under Philip's part under the under the radar, so to speak. Philip had been sent to that area, yeah. but he didn't know this guy. He didn't know him at all, and yet he taught him and converted him. So that might be the kind of person that Mohan, Mohan was talking about earlier. Maybe somebody we meet on the street. Uh, Give them a gospel tract, engage in conversations at the laundromat or in homes or at the mall. So that's that's certainly a valuable place. I, I wouldn't want anything that I said earlier about, you know, trying. Uh, we, we, we put a lot of emphasis in trying to reach people we don't know yet. We should put that emphasis there. I'm not demeaning that at all. And that is an important area. We, we I think a local congregation needs to be like a bright shining light in a community and we we ought to be we ought to have a reputation in a community because everybody in their life at one time or another starts thinking about their soul mm-hmm. spiritual things and uh, when they when they start thinking that way we want them to think of this congregation these people this message uh so i think that's what what we do uh, in in a local congregation we want to we want to be out there identified in the community as Bible-believing people uh, who are are trying their best to live like God wants us to live. Not like really out there, like on some doctrinal error out there. No, no, no. No. But out in the community. Out in the community. That's right. We want to be known as being people of the book out there. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Exactly right. Okay. I hear thunder rumbling through there. I hope we don't get knocked off the air. There's a pretty good thunderstorm rolling through Columbia, Tennessee right now. So uh, if we... If we lose you, we'll see you later. <laughs> I guess that's all we can say. Yeah. Um, uh, so, family, friends, a total stranger. Then I'm thinking of another example. Paul. Paul often taught those who were in religious error. He went to the hotbed of religious error. Yeah. In Acts chapter 17, verse 2, Paul was in Thessalonica, and it says, as his manner was, he went in. Oh, see, uh, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, open and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is Christ. So, I mean, would you go... I mean, there are Jewish synagogues in our day and time. Would you go to a Jewish synagogue, try to engage them in a study about Jesus? There's a couple reasons we would excuse ourselves from that. Number one is they know their stuff. They're probably going to, you know, it's probably going to be a tough uh, conversation to try and talk to them about the truth. They're probably going to, you know, they're going to hit me with everything they got. Number two, they've already made up their mind. They've, they've got, they've got 
a religion already. They're probably not going to be good prospects. But Paul wasn't—he wasn't afraid to go in and reason with them, take them, take them on, and uh, with the hopes that he could teach them the truth. Yeah. So religious there. Uh, we have a standing invitation on the virtual Bible study for denominational preachers and teachers to join us to discuss our differences. And those of you who are listening might want to use that as a as an opportunity, a tool. It, it, we don't care where those false teachers might be located, those denominational te- uh, and and we, we would regard them as false teachers because we don't believe they're following the truth. But if you have a chance to talk to someone in your community who's engaged in some religious error, if they'd be willing to discuss, contact us. We'd be excited about an opportunity to do to to talk with them. You you wouldn't necessarily have to do the the give and take. We'll, we'll help with that. Uh, but uh, uh, th- those are people. Some of the strongest Christians I know are people who were converted out of denominations. Yes, that uh, that that sought the truth and uh, accepted it and 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 proved what they believe is true from the God, uh, yeah. the scriptures. I, I don't know how many times I uh, uh, I I knew a, a fellow that I really respected. He's passed away now. He he became a gospel preacher, but when he and his wife were first married, he did not believe the truth. And it, but his wife was very consistent in living a, a godly life, and he set out to prove that she was wrong. I'm going to prove that you're wrong, he said. Well, he ended up convinced himself and became a, a very strong Christian in, uh, that way. So just because someone right now is engaged in error, that doesn't mean that they couldn't be taught and learn better. Yeah, we've had the experience of that with folks who who were very adamant in their disapproval of the things that were being taught and yeah. then came to accept them. Then I've got, I got one more. So family, friends, strangers, those in religious error... And then, using Paul as an example again, the Apostle Paul even taught people who were who would have been considered his enemies. I've always been impressed in Philippians chapter four, uh, where Paul right right at the end of the book of Philippians, Paul says, "Every saint in Christ, uh, salute every saint in Christ Jesus." Verse twenty one of chapter four of Philippians, the brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. He was in Rome as he wrote the book of Philippians. He was a prisoner in Rome. He was under arrest. He had converted even the people who were holding him uh, in that unjust uh, arrest situation. So uh, even even those who would have normally be considered enemies, Paul went to work on them and converted some of them. That reminds me of the story of Nestor down in uh, South America. Was he actually in Cuba at that time? Yeah, uh, the real interesting story. Uh, uh, our friend Nestor Sanchez, uh, you hear him sometimes on some of our little advertising spots. He's in in the country of Chile in South America. Uh, he was with an American, a friend of ours, Larry Payton, and they were in Cuba teaching the gospel, and they were arrested and interrogated pretty diligently. I, mean, I think Larry was interrogated for a couple of hours, and and finally was forced to sign uh, a confession that he had been guilty of religious proselytizing, which is actually a crime in Cuba. Uh, uh, so Larry was threatened. They were told, if we catch you doing this again, we're going to throw you in jail. We won't throw you in jail this time, but we're going to throw you in jail next time if we catch you doing this ever again. So they let him out of the interrogation, and they brought Nestor in. Uh, and so they they presented the same charges against Nestor. He just he didn't argue with him. He just signed it that yeah, yeah, he'd been he'd been engaged in religious proselytizing. And then after he'd signed the confession, he said to his to his interrogators, "Now I want to ask you, what do you know about Jesus Christ?" <laughs> you know, to the very people who had been accusing him of doing illegal religious proselytizing, he said, "What do you know about Jesus Christ?" And they said, "Well, they said, well, we don't know we don't know uh, we know he was a good man and that he was a revolutionary." They said, of course, in Russia in uh, Cuba, rather, being a revolutionary is quite a good thing. And and uh, they said, "So we think he was a good man and a revolutionary." And Nestor said, "Well, you don't know much then." Can I teach you? <laughs> of course, they declined. But you know what a bold move uh, on his part. It's always we talk about that a lot when we think of Nestor, how he was not timid at all to even 
try to teach the people who had arrested him. All right. We're going to break, and when we get back, we need to continue the discussion with attitudes that we need to have if we're going to be successful in teaching the lost. What are some things that we need to possess? You know, we talked about the fact is it's not our job to make people respond to the gospel. It's our job to teach. Well, there's some things that need to go along with that uh, that will help uh, that be more successful. We'll talk about that and go to the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A national survey of 11,000 American denominational congregations found that 12% of all congregations in the United States had a female as their senior or sole ordained leader. For mainline Protestant congregations, this jumps to 24%, and for more conservative evangelical congregations, it drops to 9%. That information is via the Harvard Institute for Religious Research. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, sowing the seed and making converts. And uh, now, attitudes that we need to have as well. All right, so... Uh, oh, oh, by the way, real quick, uh, to catch a comment that uh, oh, yeah. Kent. Uh, Kent made about uh, different categories of people. Read that one, Dave. Individuals from various walks of life were reached by the gospel. We read of family members such as Timothy, who was influenced by his mother and grandmother. We didn't mention that. That's a good one. The Apostle Paul, who had a, a hatred for truth and the Lord's church. He was an enemy. Himself. There you go, a good one. Yet later was obedient to the gospel and not only became a faithful Christian, but also a militant preacher, staunch defender, and, and devoted apostle of Christ. I have at times wondered how many of those had a personal knowledge of the apostles of Christ prior to Pentecost in Acts 2 and were influenced to give heed to the truth as it was presented by the influence of the preaching of the apostles. He was talking about, I guess, there, the fact that they were maybe cowards and now they're adamant about Christ. Yeah. I've always found it interesting in the study of the accounts of conversion as recorded in the books of Acts that where various first century Christians had enough of a positive influence on total strangers to engage them in a study and influence those strangers to accept and obey the truth. That is indeed interesting. Uh, good, good, good comments. Good comment. You know, talk about you know, make you making decisions beforehand and not and not being being indiscriminate. Who in the world would have taught Paul? Yeah, I mean, that, that not, guy. Not yeah, me. I can't reach that guy. That guy is. He, there's no way he's going to listen to the gospel message. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, uh, but he uh, certainly was responsive, and uh, we need to be uh, indiscriminate in our teaching of others. Yeah. All right. So let's. Uh, we're going to have to go pretty quick here. Let's talk about some of these basic attitudes we need to have. For the uh, very first thing, I put this on my list. We've got to be absolutely convinced that those who have not obeyed the gospel are lost. Mm-hmm. Now, we've we got to be sold on the idea that if I don't get to them, they're going to be lost forever in an eternal hell. Uh, That's along the lines of what Dwight said. Our attitude towards others need to be concerned for their soul. Without a concern, we're acting, not acting like our Lord. We have to realize the Ephesians two, that Ephesians 2 verse 10 teaches us we are to be workmen for him. So Good point. Dwight talks about that uh, yeah. con- concern for their soul. Exactly right. Uh, Kent says, if we're not absolutely convinced that those who have not obeyed the gospel are lost, we will not have enough interest in their spiritual welfare to present the gospel to them. As a matter of fact, one may be tempted to compromise and water down God's truth and end up in a lost condition as well. All right. So um, I think we really need to develop that, that real conviction in our heart. We're surrounded, literally surrounded by lost people. We've got to see them as such. I'm reminded of Paul. In Athens, Acts 17, 
verse 16, while Paul waited for his companions in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Uh, it really tore him up to yeah. think about these lost idol worshipers around him. His, his heart was stirred. And what did he do? He began teaching them. And that's what we got to do. Okay. Um, guess 644. Showing our joy and living as a Christian is very important in teaching others. Why would someone want to be a Christian like us if we're always complaining and acting miserably? Well, I, certainly. I think that's a good point. And, and I had that a little later. We'll comment about that just a little bit later. I, 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 I got that somewhere here in my notes. But uh, here it is. I, I, I noted that we need to be enthusiastic. Uh, if we're not... if 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 we seem to be miserable in our Christianity, then why would anybody want to be like us? Why would they want what we have? We act like we've got some horrible disease. Better stay back or stay away from us lest you contract what we've got. That's the whole whole wrong uh, thing. Thank you for that comment, 644. All right. Uh, so... Um, Another thing I had on, on the list was you got to be equipped with a practical knowledge of the Bible. You can't teach what you don't know, basically. Uh, and so w- we need to study hard, know the scriptures ourselves. Now, again, nobody's going to be perfect in their knowledge of the scripture. Don't let that hold you back. And, and, and even for those who are new converts or babes in Christ, or, or no, no matter what your your how long you've been a Christian, if you feel like you just don't. You're not comfortable. You're afraid someone's going to ask you a question you can't answer. Well, two things. One is you can get somebody else to go into that teaching situation with you, and that's really a good thing anyway. Secondly, you know, I've always felt like that if someone asked me a question I don't know the answer to, the best thing to do is just simply, you know, I don't know, but I'll find out. Yep. And what that does is actually leave the door open for a follow-up discussion yep. or study that's not a bad thing yep so but you got to know you got to work at developing your bible knowledge because you can't teach what you don't know that's the long lines what kent said he said we cannot teach the truth if we do not have a workable knowledge of such and know how to clarify present it and defend such he gets into some interesting points there about clarifying it and present it and you need to have a big picture view of the scriptures and uh, and how it works together and and how you could uh, make a logical presentation thereof yeah uh I put down, uh, and I was asking people to comment about this. You got to be willing to deny yourself. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, some of them at the ch- at the church are going to go out on Sun on um, Saturday morning and and uh, knock on doors, pass out gospel meeting invitations. But man, that's Saturday. I really want to go to the lake. I had other things I wanted to do. A, a buddy of mine asked me to go golfing with him, and so. If I do that, I'm not going to get to do that, and I'd rather do that than that. And and I just, well, I don't want to deny myself. You know, if uh, he says yes to a Bible study, that, that's a, one night of the week that it's going to be taken up with that. I sort of, yeah. you know, I like my nights of the week. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So, but you got to deny self. Jesus said in Matthew 16:24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Kent says we will not likely develop a desire to win souls if we do not put the interest of others before our own interest. We've got to be willing to not deny ourselves. Dwight in the chat room says, I have seen that our busy lives get in the way of teaching others. We are more concerned about our own things versus others' souls. Think of others first, Dwight says. Thank you, Dwight, for that. Uh, Mike says, as with anything else, the more you do something, the better we get at it. Greg, are you better and more confident now when preaching and teaching than you were when you first started a long time ago? Well, maybe Mike knows what it was like a long time ago, huh? Yeah, or, uh, it was a long time ago. And, yes, I mean, you, you do. It's just, like any, it's just like anything else. As we work, as we develop experience, as we study more and learn more, then we do, we do up our, our level of confidence uh, to the point that we're not, not so afraid that someone could ask us a question we don't know or, or whatever. Yes, I think that's exactly right. We would. And it was a long time ago, Mike, when I first started. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your comments, Mike and Dwight. You've got to be steadfast in effort. You've got to keep on keeping on. You can't, you can't let yourself be discouraged with setbacks because there are going to be a lot of setbacks. Uh, I tried to, I tried five times in, within the last three weeks, I tried to get people to have home Bible studies with me, and none of them would take me up on that, and so I'm just going to quit trying. 
They can't do that, right? Yeah. So uh, I think it's harder and harder. I've talked to a number of people. I've talked to a number of preachers who are all agreeing that it's harder. I, I don't think we live in the, in the hardest of all times to get people to consider the gospel. I think there have been plenty of times in history harder than our than our day and time. But it is difficult increasingly difficult to get people who will agree to sit down and discuss the Bible. I think one of the factors in our day and time is there's so many distractions in the modern world. There's so many things that are easier to do. They can just sit and vegetate in front of the TV or computer, and they'd rather do that than engage in honest, serious Bible study. It makes it harder, but we can't give up. We've got to keep trying. But here's the thing. We need to reset our, our measure of success when I asked somebody for a Bible study and they turned me down, I was successful. I planted a seed and yeah. it didn't germinate. Yeah. Just like the sower. He yeah. pl- you just threw it on the wayside right there. Yeah. No, the sower wasn't ridiculed. Oh, you failure? You, 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 the was, wayside didn't was, grow. What a, you, what, a, what a miserable what job a you did. What a slob you are. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. He, he, he was successful. You ask somebody for a Bible study, they say, no, thank you. You were successful. You just did what you're supposed to do. Exactly right. All right. Uh, Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's, we will reap. We're going to okay. reap something. Okay. Uh, we'll reap eternal life for doing our job of sowing the seed, if nothing else. Kent says we need to learn to be patient with others and allow the truth to sink in the minds of those we teach. Patience, patience is not a compromise. Is not comp, uh, compromise. It is only giving individuals proper time to think through what they have been taught. Even the Lord did not win every person to his cause during his earthly ministry. The apostles and members of the church did the first during the first century, did not convince all those who heard them to accept and obey the truth. Just because we do not prove our case to all individuals' satisfaction does not mean we have not sufficiently proven the case that we argue. We certainly do not want to close the door for a positive response later on because of an improper attitude on our part. Situations that develop later in the lives of lost individuals can sometimes assist them in changing their thinking and opening their minds to the truth. So don't give up. Keep on keeping on. I think that's really valuable advice. And then we said, what do you think about the need to to pray about this? Uh, We know that prayer is a valuable tool. And I thought there's there's an interesting statement, James 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, so that that may be how we feel. I just don't know how to approach this situation. I don't know how to approach this person. I'd really like to see my friend at work... Uh, obey the gospel, but I really don't know how to get that door open. What do you do about that? You pray about that. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So in other words, I know I'm supposed to be teaching him. I'm not just not sure how to approach that. I, and so I can pray about that. Uh, and and prayer is a valuable tool. So be praying about the lost. I wonder how many of us, and I, I fail at this, how many of us in our regular prayers Think of specific individuals that we'd like to reach with the gospel and pray about that. Okay. That's a good tool. That's a good idea. Um, and uh, Kent says we definitely need to pray that God will give his word free course in the minds of those who seek uh, we seek to teach. And he references Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul was requesting that of Christians as well, that they would pray that there might be a free course for the gospel. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Exactly. Um, and then I had, you got to be motivated by love. You got to, you got to really love the lost people. Uh, um, Paul said in Ephesians four, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Uh, and that's what we've got to do. We got to love those who are lost and, and be willing to, do our very best to reach them with the gospel. And uh, Kent says, while we must have a, gen- uh, have a genuine love for Christ, the truth, and the Lord's church, we must also be motivated by a sincere love for lost people seeking to assist them in the way of salvation, Jude, chapter, Jude verses 21 through 23. Dwight in the chat room says, if we're unable to teach others, do we need to study more? Hebrews, uh, do we need to study more? And then he mentions Hebrews 5. When you need to be teachers, you need to be taught the first principle. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting that's an interesting passage there that Dwight brings up. Because in Hebrews chapter 5, the the Hebrew writer actually rebukes the people he was writing to. He says, uh, verse 12, For when the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. 
notice there was a time when they ought to be te- there was an expectation that these Christians and I think that expectation exists for us all there it reaches a point where we should know enough to be able to teach others you ought when the, there's a time when we ought to be teachers and so um if if we're not there yet we need to get there all right it shouldn't be a permanent situation though I say well, I don't know enough to teach yeah well then you know what you need to be doing exactly right all right thank you Dwight for that comment tonight we're out of time. Kyle, thank you for being here tonight. Any parting comments from you? Yeah, which, of course, is always good to be here. But I think it's our motivation for all of us. Like it's motivated by love. It's, we do it because we love our fellow our fellow men. So it's just exactly right. And, and our family, we love them. They may get aggravated. They may just, you know. But we love them, so we have to, you know. I'll do what we can. I think you're exactly right. Thank you, Kyle, for again, for your being here tonight and uh, dad good comments from our listeners from yeah, our emailers exactly. yeah, uh, in the exactly. chat room tonight excellent it's an encouraging discussion we need to be encouraged to be more active in this area i think you're right all right dad thanks for thanks, I'm glad that you're back good to be back thank you for being here tonight i hope you benefited from our study and discussion of god's word hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the virtual bible study in the meantime we encourage you to put god first in your life study his inspired word the bible and live by it every day you'll never regret it Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.